Welcome into Dragon Ball Super Dope. My name is Kyle. Thank you for checking this out. We are still in the midst of our five-year, weirdly, anniversary month. And we're doing a series of special episodes throughout the course of the month, talking with different content creators who I love and respect. And this is a very special episode for me, probably the specialist of all the episodes. And that we are welcoming back our friend, Mr. Air Fusion, Lance. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Congratulations on five years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's like kind of a congratulations, but also kind of like a reality check. You know, it's like, what are you doing with yourself? But yay, here I am. It actually kind of reminds me of a line I heard in one of your videos this morning. It's like 29 parts of the Boo saga for Dragon Ball <laughs> Dissection. You can either applaud me or like uh, ridicule me. Or, or pity me. <laughs> yeah, both are equally applicable. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I mean, I've been on YouTube for 13 years now. So if you're wondering what you're doing with your life, uh, I don't know if I should take that as a. <laughs> nah, I would <laughs> as say. An existential that... crisis. No, I meant you have like an audience, a dedicated, very. Um... I don't know, grateful audience is how I describe myself as a, a fan of your content, for sure. Uh, you're the person that I go to to learn more about Dragon Ball, so that way I can hopefully give better information on my own podcast. But primarily with Dissection, you typically do like Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, pretty soon GT. Can't wait. Uh, so this is an exciting conversation for me because this is our monthly manga review going to be talking about dragon ball super chapter 88 and you don't always talk about new stuff so this is this is a good opportunity for me to kind of get your opinion take the temperature on how you're feeling about the most current iteration of dragon ball well at the very least i do try to put my initial thoughts on twitter if anybody's following me on twitter i have not done it for this chapter yet because i was out of the state uh seeing the new movie with friends and so i sort of Got to the chapter while I was vacationing, and I have not uh, not put in the the work yet of sharing my thoughts with peoples. Well, my question for you is: before we jump into the manga, uh, you did have the opportunity to go see the movie last week. Uh, what did you think of Dragon Ball Super Superhero? Best name in the world. What do you What did you think of the movie? Uh, aside from its uh, somewhat cumbersome title, I, I I really enjoyed this one. I. I was uh, happy to put out a video about my thoughts of it back in June um, when it came out in Japan. Uh, this was most of most of what I was looking for in a, in a Dragon Ball movie. Uh, you know, greater emphasis on character and humor, and I can sort of put up with some of the uh, some of the longer fighting sequences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I honestly felt like it was a good, fun Toriyama romp and didn't have very much in terms of like upward stakes like sure cell max i'm i'm sure is a threat but the fact that gohan and piccolo were the people to be able to address that threat automatically felt less important to me um the new gamma androids i really enjoyed i loved their uh characterization of pan in this oh damn it i said it like you pan i'm gonna say it like i say it normally in the <laughs> well you've already apparently already crossed that threshold i don't know why you're resisting yeah you're right i don't know why i, I didn't say i didn't say anything to you to not, make you do that you know what it is man like whenever i recommend your stuff to people i'm like listen he's gonna pronounce things in a way that you're not familiar with once you get past that though his his content is invaluable to you as a dragon ball fan so just get over it okay 
but I really enjoyed a lot of the different characterizations of characters we've known for a long time, but I also enjoyed a lot of the new characters that we had gotten uh, as well. So my, my favorite, or my question for you in terms of favorites, um, who was your favorite character throughout the entirety of the film? Uh, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one. I can at least narrow it down to two. Uh, I mean, I was, uh, I loved Piccolo in this movie. For one, I mean, it's, uh, you know, people seem to want to describe this as like a Gohan movie, and I don't really think that's true. It's it's Piccolo's movie. Gohan is kind of the object of the movie. You know, Piccolo is, you know, trying to motivate Gohan by doing a few underhanded things, but mostly just, you know, trying to take charge, uh, you know, when when he's the only one who's paying attention. Uh, and, and it's... You know, if if you watch Dragon Ball Dissection, you'll know that uh, I was not terribly fond of how Piccolo was handled in the Frieza and Cell arcs, where he just didn't really have much of an impact on anything and just sort of uh, faded into the background. Whereas in Boo, where people tend to complain about him, I thought he was a lot more fun, even if he didn't have an active fighting role. But I feel like even if you aren't terribly fond of his role in that arc, you know, this should give you a lot of what you're looking for. I'm I'm not like, wasn't over the moon with the transformation aspect of him, but just like, you know, just him as a character. I I loved the way he would awkwardly hold his cell phone (laughs) every single time. He's just confused by this thing. He actually pilots his plane the same way when he badly tries to pilot a plane. Um, you know, and and how he yells about it. Oh, I I never said I wanted these stuffed animals kind of thing. And it's just, there's just a lot of, you know, fun bits to him where he has a lot of good comedic moments, but he's also a very good straight man. Uh, and the other one uh, would be Pawn. Um, she was who I was looking forward to most. As soon as I saw that trailer, I, I just knew I, I, I just knew she would steal the show for me. I almost kind of wish this had been like a sort of buddy cop movie with the two of them where she just followed him around the entire time. She just kind of duck out of the movie for about half of it. And it's fine, um, but uh, as, as someone who is, you know, sort of re-watching GT right now, where that version of Pond can sometimes get on my nerves. You and uh, everyone else, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, t- I tend to have a lot of uh, opinions that go against the grain. I guess that's not one of them, but uh, nah. uh, but but no, I, I found her a delight uh, in this movie. She was so cute and so much fun. Uh, I, I I would I would legit be okay seeing a whole movie about just her adventures in kindergarten, like a sort of Powerpuff Girls-esque kind of you know, yeah. uh, thing about her. Cause she's just, she's a lot of fun to watch. That's like the slice of life spinoff stuff that I've been dreaming about since the <laughs> sixth grade. Like just give me something stupid and pointless. I want to see how these super strong fighters interact in the real world. That's mm-hmm. infinitely fascinating to me way more than the idea of like strong guy go punch. You know, <laughs> oh, there's this awesome moment where, you know, um, the Red Ribbon Army go to kidnap her from school and, you know, Pawn just immediately drops the guy and the, the teacher's like, oh, well, what's what's going on? You know, and it just, yeah. you know, it's largely oblivious to the whole thing. And it's just it's just a, it's a really it's a great moment. So strange. I just saw today that that's one of the new original characters that Toriyama specifically designed was the kindergarten teacher who in the dub they call Janet. I believe, which is just a funny name to me. I don't know. Uh, I, just, I, I didn't know they did that. I, I have not seen the dub, so I don't 
I, I didn't know they, I didn't know they named her. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, he just Sabbat gives it like a quick like. Sorry about that, Janet. This was a test to make sure she knows about stranger danger. Something to that effect. It was <laughs> it was fun. I saw the dub on Friday. Excuse me. I saw the sub on Friday and the dub on Saturday. Uh, but the dub I got to see in IMAX, which was pretty cool experience to see Dragon Ball on a screen that big. Like I had fun with it. Um, well, I, I was very happy to finally get a sub showing of these movies um, at all. Because I feel like I kept, I kept missing out on that. They would announce it and then drop it. Uh, but I, I managed to get a, a very almost empty theater, which I was kind of hoping for. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? I mean, Broly, I went to see twice in the theaters. Both times, the theater was absolutely packed. This time around, though, it was available at like at least twice as many, if not three times as many theaters in my immediate area. So every screening that I've seen or went to felt empty. Well, I, I, well, I was assuming that everybody was going to go see see the dub. Um and and for me, I, I don't know. I again I, I just I just don't really feel like I, I, I fit sometimes because I remember like the like the part I hated about the Broly movie the worst and I think ROF as well was just when people in my audience would just scream or cheer or hoot or holler and I just like shush, I'm trying to watch the movie, shush. Yeah, and so so I didn't get any of that this time. (laughs) It's nice to have the subtitles to read along with in case anybody does overreact. But I think for my sub showing, I had four. It was me, my friend Mike, and two other people, each of which were by themselves. (laughs) I I I think well, we were part of a group of I think about ten people, and I think there were maybe like two other groups of maybe like five people in the theater with us. Um, but I don't want to, you know. You know, come across as too poo poo, and I'm glad. That, I'm, I'm, I am glad that people have fun and get excited while watching these movies. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, I am happier. I am personally happier for just a quiet, calm, enjoyable. Oh yes. One you know, of my friends. <laughs> one of my friends sent me like a TikTok or an Instagram reel, and it was this dude who, when the I was before the Toei, it was uh, just as the Toei uh, logo went up, like it zooms into the water, and then it got the rocks and the <clears> Toei symbol. This man. Full grown man, big ass Goku costume, jumps up in the he must have been sitting in the front row. He jumps up in front of the screen and he goes, Hey, everybody, I need you to help me. Lend me your energy. And I was like, All right, I'll throw my hands up for that. But then he didn't throw his hands up and he asked us to do a big group Kamehameha. Again, this wasn't in my own theater. This is my experience through Instagram. But immediately I was like, This guy sucks. I would be super annoyed if he did that in my theater. I'd probably throw <laughs> something at him. Um, in terms of the new characters, uh, any one of them stick out in particular as maybe your favorite? Oh, I think they all stood out in certain ways. Um, I feel, I also feel like all of them could have been given a bit more focus to be really, you know, to really grab me. Um, but you know, I, um, but all of them were good enough to have at least one little moment that sort of grabbed me. Like I, you know, just. Uh, you know, Dr. Hedo, for example, was just really, you know, cute in this sort of morally gray area and, and sort of the way he um, gets um, <clears throat> gets the jump on Magenta at the end with his his hardened skin and his little bee drone. Uh, honestly, I, I feel like I don't hear people talk about him a lot, but I just I thought Carmine was cute. Me too. Carmine and presents the, all of his yes. YouTube little video stuff. It was awesome. Yes, and he he loved making videos, and I can definitely get behind that. He just always put that 
Yeah, and and I and I really like, all my friends laughed that first time where Magenta's like, so so you made this? Like it was just a good <laughs> good moment. Uh, and, and also I, I like the fact that you know when he's chauffeuring uh, Magenta in the car, there's like this this dome, this dome above the ceiling to make room for his giant pompadour hairstyle. You know? <laughs> and that's one of the things that Hito calls him out for. He's like, you think I didn't notice this car with a dome on top of it yeah. for your stupid hair? Uh, one of my favorite Carmine moments is when he's doing some, like, I don't know, just sharing some intel on whomever, like Goku, Vegeta. But, like, it shows, like, the thumbnail, the title of the video, and the view count. It's, like, seven views. Goku versus <laughs> Vegeta. Seven views. Gohan uh, finishes Cell, whatever it was. I, was a, I liked Carmine a lot, but I'd probably pick Hito because, I don't know, he's just so, he's so funny. I like that he doesn't, uh, he's not all about, like, taking you know advantage or like uh kidnapping kids like like he's morally gray but at the same time i'm like i could see you being a good guy especially for somebody who's so obsessed with superheroes so i was happy mm -hmm. with that turn at the end where they're like oh just go more for capsule corp you can help me with my cosmetics or whatever it is <laughs> but uh you know gamma 2 was a lot of fun as well um just mostly as a background event but there's a lot of exposition and this movie's really good with this in general, where they take there are a lot of exposition-heavy scenes where characters are talking. There's always there's there all there's always some business going on that makes it um, fun to sit through. Um, the you know, poses, I, yeah. the poses during yeah that. yeah. And <laughs> their thing is that there's this big sequence where he's trying to do poses, and number one is not really interested in that, and they have this sort of argument in the background while all this important stuff's going on in the foreground. I was like, oh, come on, just, just do this, or this would be really cool. And it's, it, it's, it's just, there's a lot of fun business in this. And it's the same thing with the, with the car sequence earlier on, where Magenta and Hedo are discussing, you know, their, their business arrangement, where there's stuff like, and I, I didn't notice this until I watched it the second time, was, you know, the car they had to try to get around, that is the kindergarten teacher. Yeah, <laughs> Janet. <laughs> um, well, I know that you're not somebody, you're, you're someone who's like me, who, like, kind of gets kind of bored with like the repetitive nature of some of Dragon Ball Z's action sequences. And we've seen it a lot for the last 25, 30 years or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. I think we both enjoy these like brief moments of, you know, humor that Toriyama weaved so well into the original Dragon Ball. And that's what makes me enjoy original Dragon Ball a lot more than some of the current day stuff or Dragon Ball Z. But my point in bringing all of that up is I know that you're not much for the fights, uh, but if you had to pick a favorite fight in this film, which would you pick? Um, well, yeah, you you give me a, a good fight and one that's that, that paces itself well and ties into the drama, the emotions, the characterization. Then, I, then I'm on board with that. There are there are plenty of fights I like for that reason. I just don't typically tend to care for what seems like fighting for its own sake or just for the spectacle of it. Uh, so. Uh, and I do think this movie somewhat falls into that trap towards the end. Not as much as Broly, where I cannot remember the second half of that movie to save my life. Um, where there really is that hard, hard dividing line between here's the story, then the story stops, and then here's a lot of fighting. Um, I, I can easily say what my least favorite fight in this movie is, which what, is Go that? Goku versus Vegeta. Really? It, because it should not be in this movie at all. It's complete trailer fodder fan service and it almost it kills their own punchline honestly um because i if, if i don't know if i don't know if you know 
or anybody who's listening might not know or watching, but there is a post-credits scene after the movie. Uh, and I think it would, it, it basically it's the, the fight is over and Vegeta is won. And I feel like it would have played a lot better if that preview, because it's been like 10 minutes, I think at least, on Beerus's planet, which again, it's fine to check in, but it just kills the pacing of the movie. And I really think they should have immediately cut away the second those two characters rush in to start fighting. Just cut right there. Don't show any of it. And then it makes it a lot funnier at the end when it's like, ah, oh, yes, I won. And you see uh, Limo and Broly you know, in tears over how beautiful this was. And it leaves it to your imagination of, wow, I wonder what kind of fight happened here. But when you spend a good five minutes just watching this completely unmemorable fight play out, then it's like, okay, so they, they fought. Yeah. Again, you know, whatever. <laughs> Man, why are you so good at rewriting Dragon Ball movies on the fly like that? <laughs> that would have been the way better way to execute on that. <laughs> well, it's it's a, as as my friends remind me, it's like this is the sort of the price that we pay to get most mostly the kind of fun humor and character stuff that we want is that we need that moment of Goku and Vegeta fighting so we can throw it into the trailers and cynically uh <laughs> well a big part... appeal appeal to a larger wider audience sure well a big part of when the trailers originally dropped for this film i remember i didn't notice it at first for sure but according to a bunch of internet sleuths at the time they're like here is point six frames of broly in this trailer and it's right here mm -hmm. you can see him doing a downward punch or whatever it was so a lot of people got excited the fact that Broly would be involved in this movie, understandably so. Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of brings me to my next point, though, is that the way in which this movie was described by Akio Aoku recently, this is a quote that came out, I think, at the end of June, June 20th, 25th, somewhere in that time frame. But for whatever reason, Screen Rant picked it up a couple of days ago and have since been making this article. The headline of the article is something to the effect of, uh, don't worry, <laughs> Gohan and Piccolo's new transformations in superhero are not canon to the manga. And it goes on to take this translation from Ioku, and I can't remember the exact, I should have I grabbed it, but it's something to the effect of, Dragon Ball Super Superhero serves as a sequel to the Broly movie. That's all that it says. And in my brain, this makes sense to me because I'm a manga reader. I understand that the most common way to consume Dragon Ball comes through the form of anime. In order for them to appeal to the biggest potential viewership in the movie theater, they're going to go off of whatever was most recently animated, that being the Broly movie. So this serves as a direct sequel to Broly, I thought was pretty clear and cut, but apparently it is not. It's people like Screen Rant and Weebs on the internet. That this movie does not pick up after the events of Broly, but um, would serve as a sequel in that it would follow the Broly movie like in sequential order, like this is the next movie, but we're not going to reference events ongoing in the manga right now because from a production perspective... How could they know what was going to happen in any given month for the story? Um, so this kind of brings me to the larger question. I kind of just laid it out the way I've been thinking about it. What does Dragon Ball canon mean to you, especially in this current modern Dragon Ball day where 
you know, canon used to mean to me at least, if it's on the manga, Toriyama wrote it, it's canon. If it's filler in the anime, it's not canon. Now it's kind of convoluted. How would you explain to somebody who's asking you, what's Dragon Ball canon? How would you explain that to somebody in the current day? Well, I guess to take that last question first, <clears throat> I feel like I would, um, I, it, it, there's, there's no easy way to do it anymore. I think the only way to really, or the easiest way, the most um, non-subjective way is just to hand them the 42 books and say, there you go. And everything else, just sort of pick your timeline from here kind of thing. But um, <clears throat> I had a friend um, who once sort of framed the idea of canon in a way that I've always found very helpful in the past several years, or, or framed it in a question, which is canon to what? That there's always, you know, if we're, the word canon really can't necessarily exist in a vacuum. It's always, there's always an underlying context of what, it is being canon too. Like, you know, if you use, refer to it in its original sense in terms of, you know, canonizing books of the Bible, for example, it would be like, you know, what canon to, canon to the Bible. It's not that the books we're leaving out don't exist. It's just in terms of this superstructure we're making, this is what belongs here. Uh, and I, I think it's a bit easier to look at it through that lens because. Uh, which, which, in a sense, you can look at as just a form of continuity. Um, so it's like it's whatever like, it's like whatever serves the story for the purposes of telling a good story. Yes, but it's also it's it's useful to know what is connected to what. So it's like yeah, when you have the manga, the events that happen in the manga are canon to that storyline. Whereas you can also say that you know the filler events the. Uh, the anime exclusive scenes could be said to be canon to its continuity, but clearly aren't canon to Toriyama's original story. So it just sort of depends on what what it is you were dealing with, what lens you were looking through. But that's what has become, and your the interview you just talked about sort of uh, pinpoints that as well. What has become difficult in the era of modern Dragon Ball is that 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 doesn't seem at all clear cut anymore. You know, you have a in the past it was always you had this manga continuity which stood alone, and you had this animated continuity that also could be said to stand alone. And now it's like <clears throat> we have um, three different versions of Battle of Gods. Um. Some of which, like, for example, if you only were to watch the television version of it, you would never know why Pilaf and the gang are children. That information is only in the movie. And, and it, uh, it seems to act like it expects you to have watched this completely separate continuity to understand a key point of its own story. Uh, and, and then, you know, you have people, most people you know, are like, well, look, the animated series is the canon follow-up to the previous animated series and the manga the super manga is a follow-up to the dragon ball manga and and that's an easy way of looking at it but you know there, there are a few there are elements in the dragon ball super manga that pull from 
the animated continuity, like the number of fingers that Piccolo has, the fact that they talk about Mount Paozu, which is only ever referenced in the animated continuity. You know, small things like that. And then even for the animated one, you then have to now have to go back and wonder, well, which one? Because there are now two different cuts of Dragon Ball Z. There's Dragon Ball Z and there's Dragon Ball Kai. Uh, you know, where do the movies fit in? And now they're, uh, we have, you know, only one version of Broly. And so which continuity point in time. does that, <laughs> which, which continuity does that tie into and what follows off from that? And like what you were saying in an interview, it's like, you know, it's, it just feels like a jumbled mess now. And so the, the question can into what they seem to be purposely vague about that to leave their options as open as possible. But yeah. And he sort of says that in the interview too. It's like, this is a more exciting way for us to tell stories by kind of leaving some things open in the margins for us to mess with the timing a little bit. But in terms of the timing, I'm going with the assumption that all of these events are meant to be canon. And by canon, I mean, I imagine I'll probably see all of these things in sequential order in the anime when it comes back. I imagine it'll go in the order of Broly, Moro, Granola, and then Superhero. That just seems like common sense in terms of the timeline placement for me, given uh, what Pan's age is, given that they make a little bit of a deal about how Goten and Trunks have finally aged up. But I've talked to a few people recently who were like, no, they're parallel universes. The events of Superhero do not at all affect what's going on in the manga. And I'm like, yeah, no shit, man. It's because it happens <laughs> after what's going on in the manga. Stop <laughs> thinking like that. Um, it, it, just please help me confirm, I think, maybe, hopefully. This must play, take place after the Granola arc, right? Um, from I, It certainly seems like it to me. And I, I could have sworn I heard some interviews in the past that seemed to intimate that. Uh, but I mean, you know, just in terms of I mean, granted, I guess we don't see a lot of the characters in the Granola arc who would make that apparent, like the, the children. Uh, but yeah, I, that, that's, that's what I assume, but I, I've made it a point never to assume anything when I uh, try to analyze any of this stuff. And you know, for that reason, you never, you nev never want to get into a belligerent nerd fight, especially if you don't. Well, you don't want to in general. You never want to in general. Yeah, but, it's but, not, but not to waste your time and energy like that's it's a terrible way to waste time. But for some reason, I've I've gone down this rabbit hole at least three times in the last seven days. But you especially don't if you don't know if you have a firm foundation to start on and you're just sort of making your own. Even if they're logical assumptions, you never you know. Hear the way I talk, though. I am very self-assured, sir. Come on. Listen, <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. It's so after granola. Stop messing around with me. Random commenter on Facebook or whatever. <laughs> I'm not arguing against. I, I I think you're probably right, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna place any money on it either. <laughs> yeah, because they could just like be like, oh, somebody put some bets on this. Well, forget those people. <laughs> um, and uh, speaking of granola, though, I we are here to talk about chapter eighty-seven. I said eighty-eight earlier of um, the granola arc. It's called the universe's strongest appears. So sometimes on the show, because Dragon Ball spoiler culture is what it is, we usually have spoilers like a full beat by beat breakdown a few days before the chapter drops. I usually talk about it 
I did not talk about it this month. Uh, we've had a lot of special episodes this month where I had better stuff to talk about than this crappy arcs finale spoilers. <laughs> so, well, I guess, um, I guess, guess you're because you're giving the game away here. Well, I'm giving my own game away. I actually went on record a couple of weeks ago where I was like, this is probably the worst written Dragon Ball I've ever had to sit through. I'm so upset with the pacing, blah, blah, blah. But with all of what I've just said, hopefully it didn't influence your decisions at all. Uh, what did you think of the granola arc? Now that we're finally at the end, definitively, it felt like we've been at the end for the last six months. Now that it's finally come to a close, we're about to take a break. What did you think of the granola arc on a one to ten scale? Ten being the best, one being the absolute shittiest. Well, it's <clears throat> it's hard for me to rate it on an objective scale, especially because I've only you know like, so some of the earliest parts are things I have now not read and like over a year so it's hard for me to remember it but um but i i, I will just to preface because I'm, I'm gonna try i'm gonna try to give you what you want oh, yeah. um i i am gonna preface by saying that it was kind of a roller coaster for me um first of all because i was late to start following the manga uh i really didn't try to start catching up until about a year and a half ago um, and so I sort of came into the granola arc as it was just starting or it hadn't started. And I heard so many people complain about it, even at the beginning, like, oh, this is terrible. I can't. And, but but this is like when the exposition parts were still going on. It's like, oh, this is who granola is. You're talking to the heaters. And I I read that stuff and I thought it was great. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this this is this is really interesting. This is and, and in the, the sort of the conversations between Beerus and Vegeta thought it was going to take Vegeta's character in a new interesting direction like the previous arc seemed to have gotten him to find you know oh seek repentance and it seemed like this arc was going to be about now I move past that now I move past feeling guilty um and so it seemed like there was a lot to, to go on with this and I was like wow this is this is this is the best arc so far um <clears throat> my but then again that's the roller coaster I was on for this is kind of the, my roller coaster for the Tournament of Power in the animated series, where I had similar, like, oh, this is going to be great, Battle Royale, meeting all these characters, going to pick them up one by one, this is having a lot of fun. And then once the ball got rolling, it became a miserable experience. <laughs> you didn't have fun predicting, like, battles week to week? We had a blast with that. That's how this podcast started. I, I We loved it. <laughs> Well, to me, it was, and I got it, that has been five years ago, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, crazy, huh? <laughs> no, it just seemed to go on forever, and I couldn't, there was no delineating factors, and it was just literally a minute per episode, and it just, it was, it just, oh, God, I, I, I it's giving me flashbacks. Just yeah, that minute, about it right now. you just said minute per episode, and I was like, shit, I actually, bleh. I twitched a little bit. I'm like, I remember that feeling. What do you mean one minute has passed? I just watched 22 minutes. Do that math over again, <laughs> and, please. And it, it never seemed to know where it, where where to end. And I and I'm talking about both of them in this case. And and that um my my issue with the granola arc in a general sense. I, I made a thread about this on Twitter recently. Is what I aside from the progression of time, what I think, and, and the overall sense of Dragon Ball storytelling, which I feel super is kind of lost. Which, until superhero, I guess, which seems to have characters aging again, which is nice. That sense of progression. But even within story arcs, what makes them work is a feeling of movement. And if you've watched Dragon Ball Dissection, you'll know I did not score the Cell arc very highly. However, 
I do think it is perhaps the best example of what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, love it or hate it, there is a lot of good movement in that story arc, which is, you know, Trunks shows up, then they go to these islands, they have a confrontation in the city, they fly off somewhere to fight, then number 20 escapes, there's this chase sequence, there's a short fight followed by a chase sequence, sneaking around, trying to find a laboratory, new enemies, another short fight, then the characters regroup. There's, do you, there's a, do there's you a mean movement there. in terms of like the progression of time in the story? Because the cell arc, when you think about it, from the time Trunk shows up to give the warning to the end of the cell arc, like that is a good chunk of time. But like one thing I always enjoy about the cell arc, it's something I really enjoyed about the moral arc, was just the larger inclusion of different characters who aren't Goku and Vegeta. Cell Games does a yeah, great that, job that's... of it. Moro does a great job mm-hmm. of it. Do you mean movement in terms of like there are a bunch of individual events in sequential order? that lead to a bigger story or do you mean like just the passage of time i i I mean all of those things and more i mean it it can be like literal physical movement as in changing locations uh but it can but usually i mean but larger it just means movement in the story there is a progression which in the cell arc like i was saying is there the enemy escapes we have to hide goku we have to train over here we have to you know, there, there's always some new thing that puts a wrinkle on in, into the things. And I feel like if this had been, if the cell arc had been created with the same sort of mindset as this grill arc was, it would be more akin to Trunk shows up, says there's going to be a cell game in three years. They all show up to the ring. Goku starts fighting cell, gets his heart disease, sits on the side for a few minutes. You know, and Piccolo merges with, with Kami-sama. And he fights Cell for a bit and then loses. And then it would just be the whole thing would be they're at this ring and they fight for a year. And all the beats are just fighting beats. And that's the only thing that happens until finally Gohan transforms and he wins. That is my problem with the granola arc is there's this, there's a lot of exposition. But then once the, once the action figures are put onto the board, it is nothing but fighting. And it really starts to just blend. There's no movement. They're just plopped onto a field. And Goku and Vegeta and Granola fight. And then oil or the gas comes in and they fight for a while. And then there's like, it's just, it's just this long drawn out taffy pull. Yeah. It's like Goku and Vegeta show up. Goku fights Granola. Vegeta fights Granola. They fight Granola together. Gas shows up. Gas fights Granola. Goku fights Gas. Vegeta fights gas, they both fight gas together. And just the cycle continues to go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, like like you said in the beginning, like the beginning of this arc, I thought brought a lot of promise. It felt like a little bit of a borrowed concept from the idea of like the last of a surviving race. Like my race was wiped out by the Saiyans. Like, mm-hmm. you know, baby from GT vibes, 100% all day, every day. But I thought it was done in a pretty cool way and a pretty cool new mm-hmm. character design. But then they just seemed to drop all of that in favor of giving us an entire chapter of two dudes that I've been watching kick the shit out of people for the last 30 years, just kick the shit out of this new dude for like what seemed like 30 years. I didn't mm-hmm. enjoy this arc at all, man. <laughs> so well, it's, it's, I, I give it like a four. I, I was I was going to be generous and say three. <laughs> <laughs> That's me being generous at four too. Actually, great. <laughs> <laughs> but but again, I, I'd have to read it again. And the last chapter, I thought the chapter we're supposed to be talking about, I suppose, was I thought was actually an improvement. 
but but the, for the last several months, it just I felt tired reading it, like a chore. Especially once they had their they had that, that one little break to do like this whole chapter cutaway to a flashback, and then that was when it really hit me. Was when it's like okay, flashback's over. Well, let's go back to the same fight again. And I was like, oh god, really? Honestly, there, is there that, still more? <laughs> see, that's perfect because you mentioned the flashback and you have been super heavy on my mind throughout this arc because whenever they chose to include Bardock in this arc, I'm like thinking of the video you made about Dragon Ball minus 2013 and then like the reuse of that similar sort of setup to begin the Broly movie. And I just think about it all the time in that there's these two different versions of Bardock. And one I clearly prefer versus this nice guy one that I don't prefer. And the reason I prefer them is because I just love the idea of Goku, like the warrior of the universe, the strongest guy always, the nicest guy always. He's the direct offspring of some nobody who is just kind of a dick. Like, I love that concept. That concept's always resonated with me as I was a kid. So whenever they go back to like <clears throat> tell me Bardock was actually sort of a nice dude, it just makes me feel like they're taken away from what makes Goku special. Um, mm -hmm. But his inclusion in this arc, I don't even know if it did that, if I'm being honest. Like he, he saves a child. Okay, nice guy, Bardock. I see you again. It truly did feel like inclusion just to include him, put a cool cape on him at a certain point so I can buy an action figure of it like five years from now, which I'll totally buy. It'll be badass. <laughs> but <laughs> what did you think of Bardock's inclusion in this arc? Do you feel like it has any additional impact on the lines that we're talking about here? Or uh, I know I saw a lot of people get angry about some of the stuff they did, and um, it was... <clears throat> You know, as as you say, I have certainly weighed in on this topic many times over the years, and I've I've been angry, but I could not really bring myself to be angry about this. To to use another analogy, it's like if a tornado has completely destroyed my house, it's gonna be hard for me to feel mad if a little kid runs up and smashes a window afterwards. <laughs> it's yeah. like the damage I mean, has already I, I, been done. I mean, I'll, I'll be annoyed on principle, but like in terms of any sort of tangible effect on me, it's like, well, it's already ruined. So who cares? And, and so it's like, I've, I had my time to be mad at Dragon Ball Minus and I, and I used it constructively, I'd like to think, but it's like, I can't really be mad. That was, that was eight years ago. I can't be mad at that anymore. It's like, I just kind of had, had to shrug every time something happened and go like, well, I don't like this, but it's like, it's, it's still just building on that same core terrible idea. It's not really, it's, it's, it's worse by value of extension, but it's not any worse in terms of, well, we're already here. So, I mean, there, there was that wish that he made, which I'm not terribly fond of, but again, it's still the same core idea, which is Goku is who he is because his parents cared about him. This is just a more, direct intervention on that part but it's still the same idea and i've already had eight years to come to terms with how much i hate that idea so that's a great point i didn't even put in the outline that because i think i've just pushed it out of my brain because i've like already <laughs> head cannoned my way out of that predicament but the wish that he makes to tarambo have my boys grow up to be strong or whatever 
And when I thought about it, like after the initial reading, like after the initial shock, I was like, you mean Goku was protected by a dragon this whole time? My brain automatically like fast forwarded to Dragon Ball Z. He was an yeah, adult that- and he finally <laughs> met his brother. And then him and his brother both died on the same day. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Wish over at that point. Okay, fine. It's fine <laughs> if you protected little kid Goku. Adult Goku having like the, the eternal charm of Tarambo. I'm not down with that. But they both died. So that's cool that they died. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy. Yeah, no, I am, who, I am who I am. I can't help myself. Um, so between the flashback, I, like, I, again, I feel like the setup was so good for this arc. Lots of fights. They throw in a Bardock flashback, seemingly for the sake of throwing in a Bardock flashback to break it up and bring in the character. Whatever. More fights. One chapter, I believe it was 83 or 84. It felt like they dumped, I don't know, about like six months worth of exposition into the story all of a sudden and advanced advanced along like several different plot lines in terms of like Granola, Manito. Uh, granola's helper buddy there oatmeal like all this stuff suddenly like they broke away from the fight and it felt like a real breath of fresh air and then after that it was like four more months of beating each other up uh why do you think this arc struggled in or do you feel like this arc struggled in terms of pacing and if you do feel that way why do you think that happened um, well, yes, yes, I definitely do think it did. Um, <clears throat> the weird thing about it is that before the big full chapter flashback, what was weird to me is that I wasn't thinking the fighting was great, but it was doing just enough to keep my interest from month to month. It's like uh, when, when Gas first started getting in there, his moveset... I'm not somebody, like like you said, I'm not somebody with the fighting is my biggest draw, but his moveset was still interesting enough that I could just, on a, you know, in small bursts, I could be invested enough to go, hey, that's, that's a pretty cool move. That's a, I haven't seen them do something like that before. Yeah, I like the energy um, moves, like Green Lantern <clears throat> vibes and things like that. I, I enjoyed Gas's yeah. visual component. He didn't have much behind him in terms of, like, a story he just really liked his brother and will go to the grave for his brother but i liked what he did in terms of moves yeah i, I ironically because as much as i like to have things be broken up it really was the flashback that kind of killed it for me uh partly because uh for especially for a 45 page manga having the entire chapter be a flashback like i i want to say that as much as I am against the the whole minus idea of Bardock, I'd like to think I'm open-minded enough that if they really delivered on an awesome story with that, I'd be amenable to saying, okay, I might not like where they're starting from, but I have to admit they pulled this off really well. But what was the point of Bardock being the guy in this flashback? It literally could have been anybody else. See, I, I was hoping at best that this flashback and maybe it did, and I'm just missing it. I, I don't know, but I, I was really hoping this flashback would give some particular insight into how they're going to beat Gas. You know, that they would learn some special move or some strategy or some some character or uh, or fighting weakness about Gas as a character. So they come back to the fight and 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 have some advantage they didn't have before. And I just 
did not get that impression. So I left that flashback feeling very empty. And so then from that point where I was like, okay, we're going back to the fight now. I just, that's when it started getting really tiresome for me. Uh, and, and again, I, I, I've mentioned, you asked about why I think the pacing is a problem. And, and it's, it's what I said before is that there's very little movement, very little in terms of peaks and valleys of, of, it's all it's all just way up here. It's up here the entire time. Fight, 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 fight. Um, and the one time they do stop fighting, it's something that doesn't ultimately matter at all. Um, so what inspired me to make that Twitter thread that, that I talked about in terms of movement in the cell arc was there was an interview with Toriyama where he said that what he enjoys about writing movies like like superhero is that he basically gets to he writes the story. And then he gets to say, and then they fight. And he lets somebody else come up with the fighting for him, which I, I understand why it works that way. But I think that's sort of the pitfall of Toriyama planning stories in advance, ironically. Because when he was writing week to week, and, and he he's said this in interviews before where he's like, I, I get excited writing Dragon Ball because I don't know where it's going to go either. I feel like I'm a reader who gets to follow the story along. But because of that, he's in there in the moment, feeling the pacing, I think, of when he was writing in the past. And so he gets to go, okay, this fight's gone on long enough. Something new needs to happen now. But I think when you're writing and going, okay, here's the story and here's the fight, and they're two separate things, that's my structure. There's no real intuitive insight as to how it needs to be paced it's just i write the story and then they fight that's actually a really good point i do recall the interview that you're talking about it was mostly like i think it was talking about like his writing process for the movie and that's exactly what it was like i, I write the beat of the story out and then they fight and then they come together with this awesome animated sequence that i always love and enjoy and is way beyond mm -hmm. like my expectations whatever that is I have to imagine he works in a similar capacity for the manga as well. And then he hands it off to Shueisha, Toyotaro, whoever it is. And they're like, and then they fight and make that a chapter. And yeah. I mean, and, and, and you can't have them be that segregated and have a compelling story because you either have this sort of front loaded talky bits that some people find boring that are just, they go on for a very long time, or you have just these endless fights where the story is just stopped that drag for, for people like you and me, <laughs> they you know, need to be more integrated, more, more, uh, more interlocked and more, you know, spaced out evenly. So let me ask you that. I know this isn't in our outline or anything, but from your perspective, the way in which these two dudes get together and write what's going on in Dragon Ball right now, do you think it would be better if Toriyama just, step down altogether and let Toyotaro truly take the reins over because I, I, I kind of have this thing where it's like, I think we're living in an interesting time in Dragon Ball in that a fan, like a lifelong fan of Dragon Ball is directly impacting what the story is these days. That's, that's an exciting place for any franchise to be. But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword in that should this fan be the one to be in charge? Do you think that Toriyama stepping down would be a good thing and letting Toyotaro have more autonomy or do you think he needs more oversight from Toriyama well 
correct me if I'm wrong. I need to do my own research into this uh, more so. But I, if I if I recall correctly, the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc, the Moro stuff, wasn't that more Toyotaro getting a free free reign, a freer reign with the story than he was before? I'm pretty sure that's that's that could was the, what was could said. be the case. I'm unsure as well. I'm I'm pretty sure that's the case. And if it is, um, that was one of the better arcs until it, the end. <laughs> yeah. Which I, is I, a yeah, theme I think, in Super. I think overall, yes, but I think overall it was one of the better arcs. So I, I, I think, and and to tie back to what you just said, I, I do agree that I think it can be both a boon and a problem to have a fan in a product in a position of power. Just depends. This depends on their objectivity. Because uh, I feel like if you sort of get lost in your pet character and your pet concepts and not see the story as a whole, but I, I, I haven't noticed that Toyotaro necessarily has that problem, or at least no more than anybody else. Uh, but then again, we, then again, we don't know exactly where, where all ideas are coming from. Obviously, we have a big, heavy emphasis on Goku and Vegeta. They're all superb, so I can't, you really can't pin that on Toyotaro. Yeah, I kind of get the impression that it is truly like a too many uh, chefs in the kitchen sort of scenario and that, yes, they obviously want Toriyama involved. Anything that can put his name on is going to help mm -hmm. them print money. They need a guy to be able to pick up the ball and run with it for the majority of the work. That's Toyotaro. But I'm sure Shueisha has some say in whatever's happening in the manga as well. Like, I know that Toyotaro came up with the character of Granola. Uh, mm -hmm. The Hides were a Toriyama idea. Toriyama's. Mm -hmm. And the idea of including Bardock, I could very easily see Shueisha coming into the room and be like, you know what would sell some books? Let's get Bardock in on this deal. That'd be great if you could work him in for us, just like how they asked him to work Broly into the last movie. Well, it, it very well, very well could be. But I, I think to more, to, if I can succinctly answer your question... I, I think that Toriyama's strength, and this is just my opinion based on my observation, I think Toriyama's strength as a writer comes from his spontaneity. From him being in there week to week and just intuiting what's going to work to an audience in that moment. I don't, I don't think he... It has not... It's been my observation. I don't, I don't think he excels plotting things out in advance. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't so, strike me as the guy to do his best work over the course of four quarterly meetings throughout the year. Like, shows up once every three months from his little bunker. He's like, here's what I think is going to happen. Here you go. Make something happen out of it. I yeah. think it'd be better if they met with him once a month, even if it was like through a Zoom conference, you know? But I understand the dude is notoriously like reclusive. So, I, yeah, I, I mean, if he, I mean, he's definitely earned the right to retire if he wants to. Uh, you know, obviously, like you said, it's marketable to have the original author's name on this and to be, you know, putting little blurbs into the back of the volume saying, hey, I redrew this. I'm, I'm here. I'm doing things. Uh, I, it would be impossible for me to say for sure whether it would be an improvement to have Toyotaro be the complete creative force or the main, I'm sure the studio, you know, and the companies would have some say, but you know, and, until I saw an arc that was totally, totally his, it's impossible for me to say who do it better. But I do think that Toriyama is not playing to his strengths in this committee. I'm going to hand down an outline from something I just said. Oh, here's a, here's an idea. 
as opposed to him being in the trenches. And if he's he's not willing to be in the trenches, then he has, you know, there's no, he's he's done his time. He has no, he, has, he doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. Uh, and I can't imagine why he would ever want to do that. But if he's not going to, I don't, I don't think he's doing his best work being this overseer. Yeah. I agree with you. He doesn't want to be in the trenches at this point in time, but also I'm sure the money that's coming his way is way too exorbitant for him to be able to turn his nose up at, even if he is like the most renowned mangaka in the country of Japan, like even financially speaking, like the money I'm sure that's coming in for him right now, it's like a no brainer for him to be like, yeah, I'll put my name on that. That's absolutely fine. I'm more than happy to cash these paychecks. Um, well, I, well, this is, um, this is kind of an interesting episode in terms of a manga review because it's the end of the arc. I'm more interested in looking at this arc as a whole because it has spanned, weirdly, like 20 chapters. Think about what you were doing 20 months ago. It was April of uh, 2020. Oh, shit. And we don't want to think about what we were doing 20 months ago. Never mind. I changed my mind. It was a sad time in America's history. My point is, this thing has been stretching on for forever so i'm I, I was just curious in hearing like your overall thoughts about the arc as far as chapter 87 goes as an individual chapter it very much has what i've been thinking of as like um the final ending cutscene of a video game from super nintendo that i played when i was like you know six or seven where it's like we beat the final boss and then we all get healed and then there's this cutscene of actually the final boss isn't over and he goes to kill somebody, but then some miracle. In this case, the miracle's name is Frieza. <laughs> uh, it just so happens to kind of sew up all of the loose ends at the end of it. So um, a couple of things I enjoyed in this chapter was the visualization of gas as he's on his way out, having that skeleton stuff come through. There's this really, really cool panel of when he realizes that he's on his way out, he overhears something mm -hmm. Elex says. And he looks in the water and sees his own yes. reflection. Oh, how beautiful, man. Like, I felt it was sadly beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. But the idea of, like, the spoilers kind of factored into this chapter for me and, like, what we thought was going to happen. Because the spoiler that came out was Manito catching a, a quote-unquote poor man's death beam, we'll call it. Like, through the back of, you know, and through, out through his chest. And it's like... A Namekian healer catching a death beam through the chest. Wow, I wonder who that could be. <laughs> so everyone just assumed it was Frieza. In the chapter itself, fake out, not. It's gas in his zombie form. Um, kills Benito. Doesn't really matter ultimately because Whis does what he does and has zero repercussions for his angel role. Um, but then Alec kind of goes on. This what's the right way to express this? Um, Alex sort of starts to unravel and like revealing the intricacies of his plan, like finish these Saiyans up. He's going to be here any moment. And that's when oil and Maki start to put it together. Um, oh, he's going to die. This is awful. And then just as everyone starts to like come to a head on the understanding the situation, Frieza just drops right in with a superhero pose. Kills gas instantly. Maybe in his base form. I reread the manga today. It looks like he might transform to his new black version 
instantly, but the shadows of it, you couldn't tell. It's a 50-50 to me at this point. Takes care of Alak almost instantly. One-shots both of our heroes. And then um, leaves, gives jobs to the recently unemployed in Oil and Maki. Now he's filled some positions on his ship, so he leaves. Um, there was so much in this arc that I imagined was going to happen that didn't happen. Uh, I, I've kind of been calling them drop plot threads, but I don't really know that they are. Um, they could be, I think, what's the, what's the word? Um, Stockholm syndrome. I feel like this arc has given me Stockholm syndrome in that I've been with it so long that I'm willing to try to give it some breaks. But at the same time, it's like, am I right in thinking this is awful? So things like the idea of OG73 playing such a major role in the beginning of this arc, and then ultimately kind of going to nowhere. Uh, so much emphasis on granola and gases wish to be the strongest and the emphasis on decreasing their lifespan. And Alec doing this weird, I don't know, seemingly shady, like off-screen sort of wish. Like, there were these moments in there where I'm like, what happens here? What happens there? It has to factor into the greater story overall. And in the end, no. Frieza shows up and kills everybody. Are these really drop plot threads, Lance? Or am I just thinking about this story entirely too much and overlooking drop plot threads of past Dragon Ball arcs? Well, I mean, there there are definitely some drop plot threads in previous Dragon Ball stories. I, I would say at the very least, I don't think that OG73 would necessarily... I, I, I think it's really a trap to get into, especially following something as it's coming out uh, weekly or monthly or whenever, of trying to second-guess where a story is going to go. Uh, and I, I think, especially in our you know, YouTube culture where it's about putting out, you know, content of things that are incomplete. You know, there's this really big speculative market of, whoa, where's it going to go? Here's, here's what I think. And, and those, those could be fun to do, but I think um, people will get mad when they're, when where they think a story is going to go isn't going to happen. And I think we, we can all be guilty of that. I, I think that, yeah, that OG73 stuff could have gone somewhere. And I can see why people, probably myself included at the time, might have thought it was going to. But it's probably, you know, just a way of passing the baton kind of thing. Here's a leftover remnant from the previous arc. Here's what happened to him. He floated off here and they got him and got information from him. And that's all that he is. It'd be like like the Scarecrow in The Dark Knight, where it's like there's a little scene at the beginning of the movie where... Batman captures him because he didn't didn't quite do it at the end of the last movie. Well, here we go. And now he's done. And that's it's just a little sort of reintroduction kind of thing and tying this story into this new story. And that, that's that's how I ultimately see that. I'd have to go back and reread the early parts to see if it really seemed like there's something missing there. But I from what I remember, I can see it as just a well, he had that information, he got the information and now he's done. Yeah, okay, that, that makes you feel a little bit better. I mean, I, don't, I just don't feel like Dragon Ball has done a wonderful job in tying arcs together. Like, I mean, Frieza to Androids is a, the best, the example of the best version of it. Like, Future Trunk showing up and taking care of Mecha Frieza is another great example of tying yeah. an old arc to the beginning of a new arc in order to sort of 
reset the stakes and make a statement, you know? Um, OG73 in this case, I figured he'd factor in only because if you, I remember doing this chapter review, it was um, the month that season two of The Mandalorian finished up. Mm -hmm. Did you watch The Mandalorian? I have not seen The Mandalorian. How do you feel about spoilers for The Mandalorian? Uh, as I know next to nothing about it, I, I doubt it's going to have much of an effect on me. <laughs> anyway, Luke Skywalker shows up at a certain point and he fucks oh, I, up I some that. death droids, <laughs> all right? Like, he ruins this thing. And, like, uh, about three or four weeks later, this chapter comes out that introduces Granola that you see the OG-7-3s, like, um, they start to clone them again. And then he comes in and drops multiples of them as a way to sort of say, like, you thought the last guy was bad? I'm even badder. Like, similar mm. to the way that Trunks did against Frieza. But then they take his head, they get the information, they go to Zuno, they ask all the questions, whatever. I just felt like there was no way they don't use that guy again in the future, but they just they just didn't. Uh, the other big thing that stuck out to me about this arc was the emphasis on the exchange for the strongest power in the universe for a shortened lifespan. Um, it doesn't really ever seem to impact either of the fighters who make this wish, even though several times throughout they're like, be careful with how you ration your power. You're going to burn through your lifespan automatically. And then they continue to go on and do exactly that. And nothing oh, yeah, bad. But, yeah, but gas, gas falls apart at the end, literally. <laughs> right. So what happens that... with granola though? They even do this thing in this chapter where the last shot that he takes they say, oh, I just I just used a move that drains so much of my life, and Vegeta kind of comments on it, and it's like, you keep telling me that it's gonna factor into the final outcome of your life, Granola, but I just don't believe you anymore, because you would have been out of life by now. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I, unless I'm misremembering this, I'm not saying this is a defense, because if, if I'm remembering it right, it sucks, um, but does it, like... Isn't the ass pull here that Manito like super heals him at the end? Like, oh, I didn't know I could heal that well. Yeah, and it was, my powers I, I have blossomed. That. They've blossomed in my old age right before I, I get thought, killed. I thought that was cheap, cheap and terrible. It felt like the end of a video game. You're all <laughs> back to I, full health. But I wouldn't call that dropped. It's just, it's resolved just in a very bad way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it's really resolved. The way I would understand it to work, like... You put in so much key into a specific blast, and like they kind of double downed on it, and this double downed on it in this chapter. In that he's like, yeah, that move specifically that I use takes away from my life force, so it's like double bad compared when you stack it up against the wish I made with the dragon. And it's like it just doesn't ever factor in. Like, what's the future of Granola look like when they reach the end of Z? They're gonna be going to his fucking funeral before they go hit up the Tenkaichi Budokai, like. What's the point of even leaving these guys alive? I don't get it. Well, I, I, I don't know, but I guess my, my big problem overall with that was that Granola disappeared for so long, I'd kind of forgotten what he was even about by the time he came back. He just, he just got tossed aside for, for gas. And, and since we're talking about this particular chapter, I, 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 enjoy, I, I thought it was an improvement because things were actually happening. And I, I did feel some pathos for gas at the end. I would have felt more if I felt I'd had any connection to him as a character beforehand. It was a general sort of, I feel bad for anyone who is going to melt away like a zombie because of this monkey's paw kind of wish. Uh, but I didn't really feel like I knew him at all. 
but there's also just the idea of this lack of urgency which, which which actually that was my problem when the fight dragged on too long was i started to question why are these people even fighting at all anymore and it just felt like it was going on inertia like there was originally this revenge plot where the characters were being manipulated into being here but then they found that out and it's like now the people who are fighting don't really have any connection to each other and that really gets exacerbated in this chapter where alex like come on we gotta go we gotta take care of frieza the whole thing is about taking care of frieza and i'm like okay well then why are you still here yeah. go find him get him <laughs> if you have a matter it, it reminds me very much of when you know in the in the tournament where uh what what, what was jiren's universe 11 were they 11 yep universe 11 where universe 11 had fewer people left and time was running out. And so then they decided to just stop fighting and give Jiren's backstory. <laughs> yeah, but little like kid Jiren and his parents getting killed and him running but, and stuff, it was so cute. Yeah, where it's like the people, the people who want to be running out the clock aren't, and the people who definitely shouldn't be running out the clock are. <laughs> where it's like, the heaters are the one who have a time limit here, so why are they the ones who don't seem to be in a hurry? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Especially Alec. Like, I think it just speaks to his poor planning. Uh, who shows up, it's, though? It's very, it's very lucky that Frieza shows up at the moment he does. I mean... It, it, <laughs> exactly. What I think is even more wild about this is, like, I would thought that Alec has this wish that he makes for gas off screen so that way he could either make a second wish, put some kind of second, uh, you know, play in, uh, put some kind of like second plan into play. But no, nah, apparently he like does that wish off screen and then summons Frieza himself. Cause I guess he was oh, is, feeling oh, is that, really. Is that yeah. what that, okay, well, well then why was there any delay at all? Like, it's just like the dragon comes up and says, Hey Frieza, this guy wants you over here. I don't, think, like, okay, I don't think I guess that's I'll fly the thing. my ship there. I thought that he wished I thought that he would have wished for the dragon to bring Frieza there. That's the impression I was under when I reread it earlier again today. It looks like he just contacts Frieza somehow and summons him. Hey, I'm over here. I want to talk to you about a business deal. Well, I mean, like it's a dragon fair, there involved. is there there is hazy precedent for that because we don't really the end of the Frieza arc has Goku saying, No, I'm not gonna come back. We have no idea how that went down either. If the dragon's like, hey, what's up? Want to come over here? And he's like, no. And it's it's always been a really weird sort of nebulous thing that barely makes any sense at all and has never really been expounded on how it works. I think we're making new headcanon right now in that Tarambo hit up Frieza and was like, hey, I know you're in this weird newfound room of spirit and time, but... This guy Alec wants to talk to you. Do you want to talk to him? I can put you together like for 99 cents a minute per charge or whatever. And then he does. And then he comes out and he's like, never mind. This guy's talking smack about me for the last 40 years. It's time to get even. <laughs> um, let me ask you though. The idea of Frieza is exhausting to a lot of fans <laughs> because we've gotten him katsuno f we got him in the tournament of power we've got him in broly and now we've got him showing up here again in mind you i pointed this out to a few people and they'd be like oh shit he drops in with a superhero pose and we all know toyotaro likes his marvel my point is him dropping in with a superhero pose are we about to see, and then taking care of subsequently everybody, literally everybody's problems, 
minus Goku and Vegeta, who he punches out real quick, but he leaves them alive. Gives oil and, and Maki jobs and things like that. Are we about to see a nice guy Frieza arc? What do you think about them using him again? And uh, are you exhausted by it? Uh, I, I, I am, and I'm, and I'm not. Like I, I understand. It, it, it's obvious. It's apparent why they keep bringing him back because he is, he is charming. He is, he is fun. He can be fun, uh, but it is exhausting just because. Um, I I like the idea of progression in Dragon Ball, and so having this sort of stock villain, it sort of starts to feel like Skeletor or any any number of episodic villains who are just like, I'll get you next time, I mean, Goku I, and Vegeta. For Frieza, I just feel like it helps to continuously remind people of the lore of Dragon Ball, like remember where the Saiyans came from and that this guy was a part of it, and the fact that they are willing to interact with him on any kind of level in a positive manner for the sake of like chairman of power this in, in this case um it's a big deal um but with frieza in general i guess my question is for you they give him a new power up this is now his his second power up i think anytime you use frieza's fun giving him a power up's fine i don't love the design i don't hate the design i just it's fine it's fun do you have any feelings on Black Frieza? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I mean, unfortunately, it's it's all par for the course at this point. We got to sell these new action figures. I'm just tired of transformations in general. I'd be happier without any new. Tra if we didn't have any more transformations in Dragon Ball ever, I would I would be happy. If someone just told me that that they'd never have any more, someone came from the future and told me that, I'd be like, oh. A weight has been lifted off my chest. They all just fight in their base form in the future. It's awesome. It's I'm, a utopia. I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm, I'm just tired of these just video game palette swaps. This golden Frieza, orange Piccolo, black Frieza, and it's like I'm just. I like colors as much as a colorblind person can like colors, but it is just. Just too much. It's just. It's just. But but again, it's just like it's just like the Bardock thing, where it's like I sort of resigned myself to it existing, so I can't be. I didn't have the same sort of visceral annoyance I had at Golden Frieza because it's like, well, we've already we've been here. I get it. This is what's happening. Okay, Black Frieza. Whoop de do. You know. So I'm just kind of like, okay, I shrug. Yeah. You know what? Now that you've said that, you've actually reminded me of an opinion that you have. That, that I do think about pretty frequently whenever I'm oh, like, yeah. uh, whenever I'm like upset with modern day Dragon Ball, you have the stance, correct me if I'm wrong. Like this is me speaking for you from like me watching a bunch of your stuff in the past, but you would be totally fine if Dragon Ball ended in 1996 or 1997, if I guess we're counting GT, you'd be totally fine if it ended back then and never came back ever and just let, let it lay. Me, on the other hand, like, I'm just so happy to have new Dragon Ball to look forward to, even if it pisses me off immensely at points in time. Has the, have you changed at all in that stance, or would you rather, you know, still have died back in the 90s? I, I enjoy having things to talk about, and, you know, this has certainly given me new things to talk about and think about in terms of stories and things like that. I... There are a handful of 
things that I have enjoyed enough that seem like they justify its existence. I, th- there is, I'm not going to say that there is some sort of arbitrary cutoff point for when a story needs to end. Um, you know, as long as you're turning out good material, good stories that seem like it's pushing things forward, then that's fine. Um, I still think the biggest problem with modern Dragon Ball is it doesn't feel like, for the most part, that things are growing or evolving. It's inconsequential. So long as we stay in this time skip or this time gap, rather, it just feels like there's nothing of importance happening. Well, it's like, you know, the individual chapters are serialized, but the arcs feel much more episodic than they did before, where it's like a new threat comes. We beat the threat. We celebrate. And then we rinse and repeat. There always felt like there was a new... What, what I loved about Dragon Ball, the thing I loved about Dragon Ball as a kid, when I just sort of, you know, found it on Toonami and then found out there were all these things before that that I didn't see, and all these things after it that was only out in Japan at the time. Now we get fan subs and read summaries. What excited me as a kid, who mostly had seen episodic television, you know, where the status quo's reset all the time, was I could dip my toe into any portion of Dragon Ball and find something almost completely unrecognizable from anything else. It's like if you, if you jump into Gohan in high school and you've only seen the Saiyan and Freeze arcs, then it's like, what? what is this? This is completely, Gohan's a teenager now? And, what? and then you, you jump back and you look at all these tournaments, like, wow, they were in tournaments before. And like, everything seemed like it's had its own identity, its own feeling, and, and, and the, the things progressed. The characters got older and new characters yeah, and all, and all these things happened, and I, and I said this when I finished the Boo arc, is that there is a sort of sense where, of where can you go from here? It's like they they blew up the Earth, <laughs> you, you know, like they they basically did everything, and obviously, you know, through Toriyama's um, patented admission of when I can't think of a new new way to show more power, I'll just add another god. And that is basically what Dragon Ball Super is mostly done, is, okay, well, we have other universes with other gods, and a god above them, and a god above it, and all of this stuff. It doesn't, in a technical sense, yes, things have progressed, but at the same time, it really just feels like we're sort of spinning our wheels. And that was what was nice about Superhero, was that at least, in a, in a, at, least in a, at least in a superficial sense, even at this point, you're like a drowning man. I mean, a, a, a man dying of thirst in the desert, <laughs> where it's like anything. They like, aged okay, a whole something. year. Oh my god, I love this movie. Yeah, it's like oh, she's a toddler, and oh, the the boys are teenagers. It's something, you know. Um, and I'm I'm just like drifting all over the place here. No, I, it's I, okay. It's I okay. Still, I I think that I would have been happy for Dragon Ball to have stayed dead just because of that because i think it got to a point where that's as far as it can really go and super has done very little to convince me otherwise but i do appreciate on some level the ability to look at these things and go well i I liked that because of this or i didn't like that because of this but it does feel and especially what you were saying before in terms of all these is this a sequel? Is this canon? How does this fit into this next thing? You know, they're, like you said, they're being kind of designed in a way where they can almost be modular because it really is just a self-contained adventure. 
Yeah, I think it's the idea of uh, like old. Uh, you hit on something in that just now that I didn't realize that I felt myself. But when you said it's like, oh, Gohan's in high school now. I remember when I first saw those episodes of Gohan going to high school on some fan sub tapes, and I'm like, he's a six year old throwing hands with Frieza on Namek right now. What do you mm-hmm. mean he's in high school? So did it to denote the passing of time in the series at that point in time? It just felt like. It felt a lot more engaging, and current day Dragon Ball just feels so static and stuck. And this is where we are, and we can't go past this, because if we do, we're going to have to think about our storytelling structure, if we don't want to have to do that. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I'm not saying, like, because I, I think there's always this danger of when, we, when you wax nostalgia, that you're coming across as saying that, that uh, classic Dragon Ball was perfect. You know, it, it, like, it, it could be repetitive as well, and I've certainly spent... 10 years pointing out flaws in classic Dragon Ball. That's what Dragon Ball Dissection is not all about, as I praise it for a lot of things too, but I've been critical, heavily critical of things that I, that I love. But the, like my, my thing, to sum it up in a single sentence, is that we have this Goku and Vegeta hang out with Beerus and Whis and fight a thing status quo. But if you can say one thing about classic Dragon Ball is that it never had a status quo. Things were always, always moving and changing. Each arc was different from the previous one and how it handled characters and who was the focus and where they were and all kinds of things that gave each one a very individual identity. Well, what I think is an interesting point uh, that you just made is the idea of um, different arcs like leading to different things. And the way that this arc just ended was a complete curveball I think a lot of people anticipated Frieza getting involved at a certain point, but the fact that he did not until the last half of the last chapter, um, kind of shitty storytelling in my view, like <laughs> way to pay off the whole granola vendetta stuff or like him overcoming his need for a vendetta and revenge way to pull all of that off guys. by having Frieza of all people come in and solve everybody's problems. But my question is, I, I kind of like the idea of him, Accidentally finding another room of spirit and time, training for 10 years. When you do the math out, it's almost like he wasn't dead after Namek, and he's basically elapsed as much time as Goku and Vegeta have had, give or take like two to four years if you're counting other room of spirit and time stuff. He's roughly been around for the same amount of time and has used the last 10 years or 10 days to to good do good work on his uh on his you know, overall power level or whatever. He knows that he doesn't want to be second to the Saiyans anymore. So with that said, with the new transformation, what do you think his ultimate goal is going to be? Because if it was to kill Goku and Vegeta, he literally could have just done that. And the Frieza of old that I know from my childhood probably would have done exactly that. Like, I'm very confused as to what his motives like might look like going forward. What do you think? Well, uh, and you, you just reminded me of this, so I appreciate that. I, I think I'm I'm kind of in a quandary here because while I don't like the idea of Frieza being this cackling episodic villain who just keeps on coming back over and over again, the one reason I might have liked the end of this arc was because it was just this sort of snap. He's here. And he resolved everything, and now he's just gone. And it's it's just so... It's, 
how it's viewed is going to depend on whether or not this does lead into something else. But as as it stands right now as its own individual thing, and this is the latest Dragon Ball manga thing we have, it just it feels kind of cheeky, you know, almost like a punchline in yeah. a way. Yeah, so just, it feels oh, like we've a had joke. all of this this long, drawn out, boring fight, and all of a sudden Freeze's like, you know what? Screw you guys, you're all dead. Ciao. And then that's it. Like, there's a charm to that that even I can't help but admit. So I almost kind of hope it doesn't go anywhere because it's just kind of like, that's, that's funny, you know? And just having this, this black race, it's the same thing that I was saying in the movie about how we shouldn't have seen Goku and Vegeta's fight because it's funnier and, and tweaks the fans' noses a bit to just say that it was this amazing fight. That's how Black Frieza kind of feels to me right now, where it's like, oh, I got this new thing. Bye, and then he just leaves. Like, that's funny to me, and I almost kind of hope they don't do anything with it. Yeah, I think kind of compounding off of that idea, like, I would be just as happy to, like, everyone continues to speculate, like, he's going after Beerus, he's going after Zeno, he wants to be in charge of all the universes. I would love to see Frieza's ultimate outcome after this arc, like, he achieves his new form, 10 years to train, and he's like, nobody can fuck with me now. Now I can be the greatest space emperor of all time. And nobody oh, can tell me it, nothing. It's probably it's probably going to go. It's almost certainly going to go that way. I hope so because that sounds <laughs> way more fun as opposed to like we're going to have to fight Freezer for real again. But the way this arc ended, I mean, as jokey as it felt, my problem with it was like Frieza, considering how much he hates those guys, and could have obviously killed them super easily. He just one shots both of them right out of their strongest forms after they've been perfectly one hundred percent healed. He could have killed him if he wanted. All he needed to say was like, he he does say something to the effect of like, you're not the target I came for today, so I'll leave you alone. The Frieza I know loves two for one deals or three for one deals in this case. He would have killed everybody, no problem. But all he would have had to say was like, I don't know. There's a tournament of power coming. I might need you to say an idiots again. So I'll leave you alive now. But God, do I hate you? Like that would have done it for me. Like give some sort of justification for his leniency with them. Mm. And I would have actually embraced the end of this arc probably. Well, I don't know. Cause it's funny because in, in my, my dissection of the Frieza arc, I complain about how Frieza toys with them to the point that it becomes sort of unbelievable to me, you know, where it's like, you know, if they, if they almost like he, you know, between his power-ups and his transformations, he sort of lets his guard down like a half, a good half dozen times and almost gets killed each time and almost, you know, and almost never decides to take it seriously. And that bugged me. But I've had so many comments over the years since then going, well, you know, Frieza likes to play with his opponents. And it's like, I get that to an extent until you're about to die, then maybe you should start thinking about taking it a little more seriously. But I, but I acquiesce to the idea that, yes, Frieza does not take things seriously. He thinks he's, you know, you know, the king, you know. His arrogance precedes him, for sure. Very, very and... arrogant. So compared to what I saw in the Freeze arc, I feel him just saying once, eh, whatever, I'll leave you right now. I can live with that better than I can with, I'm going to transform and still not take it seriously. I'm going to transform again and still not take it seriously, even though you are my focus right now. Yeah. Uh, so again, it just depends on where that goes, but I can, I can cut it some relative slack just based on 
how it's I find it better than precedent at least. Yeah. I mean it's goofy Frieza. He's just having a good time. He's happy to be out of hell and powerful and alive and with his army again. He's just cutting people breaks. Uh the so the way this arc ends is fairly abrupt. I mean, it felt like it already ended and then it ends again in this chapter, and it does feel fairly abrupt. But then what feels even more abrupt at the very end, we get to the last uh, few panels. They have the Oracle Fish callback that so many people were up in arms about several months ago. But the Oracle Fish didn't know who Granola or Gas were. So that means it must be somebody else. And I feel like those last few panels are genuinely Toriyama poking fun at us for being like, or Toritaro, either way, uh, being <laughs> overly speculative with our fan theories. Like, and mm -hmm. just kind of reinforcing the idea of like, this is Dragon Ball, dummy. There are always going to be stronger people to go out there and fight. Like, that's what I felt like the last page of this really kind of sums up. But more abruptly at the end of it, we are taking a short break. We'll be back soon. We're going to plan for the next arc. They're taking a break in the manga for at least two, potentially three months. I'm, I, I don't know for sure, but I've heard maybe it could be January 2023 but they could come back with the next chapter. I'm going to have a real long fall trying to come up with extra shit to talk about on this dumbass podcast. But <laughs> my question for you is, um, have, do you recall anything either in modern Dragon Ball or classic Dragon Ball in terms of like a manga break like this? Is this kind of unprecedented or has it happened before? I, I think it is unprecedented. I'd have to go back and, and check the, the dates, but I don't think there was ever any significant if there was any break at all i mean but obviously even in that case you know a weekly break is going to feel different than a even a monthly break yeah. but you know even at, like in terms of the animated series it would be preempted on occasion for some event or a special television program but it was pretty continuous as well there i don't think there's ever really been a time in the middle of serialization where they've just announced we're gonna stop so strange I, yeah i I'm, I'm excited about that in a way i mean partly because i i feel like i need a break <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not wrong i'm excited to do like different types of episodes and not be super frustrated at least <laughs> one to super two times frustrated oh you caught it uh <laughs> not be super frustrated at least one to two times a month with how poorly this manga is going but like what do you think the break could be indicative of like we a lot of us are speculating as we did back in 2019, <laughs> that the super anime could be coming back. Um, it could be, you know, something that they're kind of clearing the way for, for an announcement at Jump Festa, you know, the week before Christmas, I believe it is this year. It could be, I mean, this is me just completely spitballing, speculating. I want to hear your thoughts too, but are they finally planning to do an arc that meets at the end of Dragon Ball Z, where they go to the Budu uh, Tekaichi Budokai, meet Oob, and have this final uh, end of Z moment so we can move beyond the static time period. Uh, what do you think this break in the manga might be? Uh, well, I, I definitely feel that just based on that one little blurb at the bottom, it's going to be hard to say. You know, it's hard to glean much from that. I think it could just be the fact that as hard as it is to believe, this has been going on for almost eight years continuously now, which is, you know, almost as long. I mean, that's pretty much the beginning of Dragon Ball up to the Boo arc. That's a good point. Jesus, it does not feel like that. I did math out when I uh, math math sucks, but I did math with Geekdom a few weeks ago 
it's like this arc has been 21 chapters. Moro was something like 22, 23 chapters. Like each of these respective arcs have been one fifth of Dragon Ball Super manga entire run. And it doesn't always feel like that with the month to month format, I feel. Yeah. So, I mean, so it could just be as simple as someone demanded a break. And this is not, you know, the. And maybe even Japan has some limits on the grind till you die work ethic. And they're like, okay, yeah, no, this is going to give they a... don't. You lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe this is just, you know, realizing that, you know, you can't get blood from a stone. And maybe it's time to let them rest and charge their creative juices a little bit. Maybe. Or, or it could be any number of those, those things you mentioned before. Maybe there is some sort of... uh you know, sequenced um, event they're trying to, you know, get all synced up in terms of animation or, you know, or, or maybe maybe the performance of the movie, and I'm not sure how to look at the performance of the movie yet because I know when it came out in Japan, the, the figures that I saw looked like it was underperforming, but yeah. now I've seen this past weekend in terms of international release, this has outperformed any international so strange film? <laughs> isn't it so strange that they released this movie in japan thinking like this is a go on and piccolo movie it'll do fine here it's performed the least successfully of the four modern day dragon ball movies but it's performed the most successfully in the global markets it drives me fucking nuts that they really drag their feet on getting their act together on a global release for this film it would have been the biggest thing in the world for this franchise if this movie came out in america and latin america Two months ago, coinciding with Japan's release, yeah, I don't know why they keep shooting themselves in the foot like this. Yep. So, <sighs> so yeah, but because this came out before the international release, it, it could be a they think the movie flopped and are now sort of scaling back in order to, you know, regroup and come up with a new game plan for the franchise, or or it could be oh the movie's doing great, maybe we need to incorporate this into the manga. It could be any number of things, really, but yeah. it is exciting this is exciting to speculate because like you said this is pretty unprecedented i mean dragon ball super in general i say it every once in a while on my show but what made dragon ball super as an anime so engaging to me and i think a million other people whether they realize it or not no comic book preceding it we genuinely had no idea what was going to happen week to week we've never had that opportunity or experience outside of say dragon ball gt where it was genuinely a new story week to week. We didn't know it was going to happen. But GT didn't happen in the age of social media. So the idea of us all speculating what could happen, especially in an arc like the Tournament of Power, like that's why shit broke the internet when it did during the Tournament of Power. People freaking out about it. I am curious to see what the reception will be to Dragon Ball as an anime when it comes back, now that there are comic books preceding it and kind of, like me and you, we're hardcores. We keep up with the stuff more or less. We already know what's going to happen, but anime only watchers, maybe not. I I don't know. I, I you said something in your last answer though that kind of um, gave me a thought. When in terms of creative juices, when the anime comes back, do you think it's going to be weekly, every single week, fifty two weeks a year, or do you think that they will take the much more sensible approach of adapting it to a seasonable uh seasonal anime? Uh I feel like I was a bit out of my pay grade to be able to make those decisions. This is um, the shit I think about, man. I'm thinking about Dragon Ball from the big picture. I want things <laughs> to improve in terms of quality, but I do you think it would be better if it was seasonal or 
it might. I mean, certainly from uh, there's certain production aspects that I know that we uh, sort of got the short end of the stick on in when Super first came out in 2015. But um, I, I I think it, again it depends on who's writing it, I suppose, because. Um, I, I still don't know how much that sort of Toriyama idea of uh, being in the thick of things would affect the story. And if you, it depends on who's. I guess it depends on who's planning it out. If it's going to make any difference, because it wouldn't really change Toriyama's role all that much. No, regardless. it'd be it'd be all preceding stuff. From I mean, I yeah. ideally when the anime comes back, I think that they will choose to adapt the movies. I'm not excited to see them adapt the Broly movie, but I do think they could do some improvements on the overall story for superhero if they choose to adapt that. That'd be a cool thing to do. I imagine they have to adapt Moro and Granola, obviously. Uh, but even if they just choose to adapt Moro and Granola, I did the math out fairly recently. I hate doing math, but I did it anyway. You probably have close to 100 episodes worth of material if you were to bring back the anime right now. Um, yeah. I don't know. So that's at least two years if I do it seasonally and probably closer to three years worth of material. And then once you catch up on that three years, you've got another three years of, of uh, manga to be able to adapt. So well, I don't I, know. I think if, I, it very much depends on what they are looking for and what they think is most profitable and is going to, because yeah, I think you, I think you get a better product if you did it seasonally or as a core or whatever you want to call but it. Will they still make as much money as they need to keep giving us our black tar heroin that is Dragon Ball? Exactly. That, that's, that's the question that they're probably asking themselves. Also, like how in sync would they want the animated version with the manga to be? Because the, the role of the manga, the super manga, in comparison to the animated series has changed over the years. There, there were points at the beginning, because it was originally a promotional manga, and there were points through the Universe 6 arc, where the manga was ahead of the animated series. Strange, yeah. Um, because, you know, it was meant to just sort of be this preview, in a sense. Obviously, because of its monthly format, while the animated series was weekly, that eventually flipped, and the manga was able to sort of take on its own life. Then it became really weird, where the TV series went away, and the manga was the only thing, and it's become kind of the standard bearer for Dragon Ball. So I, I think what they want to do, and I think this is an interesting rabbit hole to go down, is what relationship they want those two branches to be going forward. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I, I guess, I guess it probably wouldn't happen, but you can imagine a scenario where they keep the manga on ice until a new animated series is caught up adapting it so that they can be, you know, at least somewhat on the same page in the future going I, forward. <laughs> I can't imagine that would be the, I am, I, I, again, this is all just speculation. We're just spitballing ideas here, but I'd have to imagine they've done it this long. They put it on hold for this long because they need things to be able to, make those storyboards out of again like there's a reason they chose yeah, but to they, do they didn't bog for years <laughs> you're right they don't need four years but they want to make sure that they never show us dragon ball super episode five and that level of animation <laughs> quality ever again um uh, i guess we'll see where it goes man i'm very interested uh january 2023 can't get well 
I guess December 2022 for Jump Fest. I cannot get here soon enough. I can't wait to see. This might finally be the year we get an announcement at Jump Festa. I've been covering that shit on my podcast every year for the last several years. I like forego Christmas shopping at that point in time <laughs> in the year to make myself available to watch the live streams and nothing ever happens. I don't even speak Japanese, Lance. <laughs> well, do, do you think there's a possibility that they would, because again, like when the animated Dragon Ball series started in 1986, they had less than a year and a half lead time when they were catching them. By, by the time you get to Frieza, where it's, where it's the worst, yeah. Where, the, where the production quality is the worst, and they're scrambling. They had like, I think, 12 weeks of lead time. Five minutes for the next six months. <laughs> yeah, they were having to really stretch out the pace in order to not catch up to the manga. But but I do think there is a certain aspect of not wanting to be too much old news at this point. And they really want to be four years behind. Like, you know, like nobody cares about Moro anymore, right? You know, I, I can't wait to see Moro animated, honestly. I'm very excited. Maybe, but here's, but, but, but it gets back to the way people... Uh, choose or prefer to consume things like we've read it it's old news to us but when the anime comes back i see people in comment sections all the time who are like who's this goat looking dude what's oh yeah no no I, I i agree there are plenty of people who would be experiencing it for the first time uh which which is which is which is kind of odd because it's been out there for so long but there's some people who just don't want to read it and that's and i that's fine i get that reading I've sucks seen, I, i've seen just as many people you know, who were and who were saying this when Battle of Gods arc and Resurrection F arc was like, why didn't they just skip this crap? We've seen it already. I see people saying the same thing about this, where it's like, this is this is old. I've I've read Moro. That's years old. I've read Granola. I've seen Broly. Let's just skip past that and do something new. We need the storyboards, Lance. It's from an economic perspective. <laughs> uh, we'll see how they choose to adapt things. I'm very curious to see. Um but here's my last question for you as we're wrapping up. You've been very generous with your time. I so appreciate you taking the time to talk about stuff that you don't typically take the time to talk about on your own channel because you're so focused on the classic stuff. So it's been super cool to hear you talk about modern Dragon Ball stuff. Um, <laughs> my question for you is, how would you describe what you do on Dragon Ball Dissection? Because I always tell my friends, I'm like, if you really want to learn more about Dragon Ball, this is the guy you should go check out. But I always feel like I do a very poor job articulating like how it is you approach breaking down your content or what it is that makes you unique as somebody who analyzes the content. So like what how would you describe yourself to a potential Dragon Ball fan who needs to learn more about this series? Well, yeah, the pressure's on now because I don't know if I've ever been a decent pitch person myself. 30 second elevator pitch. No pressure at all. Don't fuck up and go. Oh, <laughs> I feel even worse. Um, no, I, I think that it's a lot of fun to take something that might not be seen as terribly analytically driven. You know, as it's famously said, Dragon Ball is not about anything. There's no message. Um, then that's what Toriyama has said. But it's still fun to to take an analytical approach to things, um, not to necessarily just gush about something or to just throw vitriol at it, but to take a, a completely holistic approach, divide the stories up arc by arc, and just analyze the story. What makes it, what makes it tick? Uh, you know, using as much objective information as we can find, quotes about production, uh, but then really just take a deep dive into the story. How it works, 
how the characters work, what doesn't work, what can be improved, things like that. And, and just really ex- exploring. That's why I call it a Dragon Ball dissection, because it's, it's really just, you know, peeling back the layers and, and, and seeing what makes it tick. And that's, that's what I've been trying to do. And clearly I, I don't half-ass anything because I've been doing it for over 10 years now. I celebrated my 10th anniversary of Dragon Ball dissection at the beginning of the year. Congratulations, my friend. And like I said earlier in this episode, I don't know if it was Patreon exclusive. We and Lance did a little bit of a pre-show. If you want to go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dragon Ball Super Dope. But 29 videos for the Boo arc, is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, my, my, I just finished up the Majin Boo arc uh, back in April. And it, it, it took me uh, 29 installments, which is uh, funny. Um, yeah, when I started, it was three three videos per per arc and then red ribbon army set the record with eight <laughs> and that record wasn't broken again until frieza with 13 episodes and then um the cell arc was 18 and then boo arc was 29 uh so it's it's been getting i mean the arcs get longer in the story in dragon ball themselves so naturally my reviews would get longer as well but i think i've been giving a more and more of a deep dive uh dragon ball dissection i think has over a 130 installments total. Uh, that includes my breaking away to do the movies. And then I did a, 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 a sort of side series called DBD TV, which is that's what I'm finishing my, up on. That's right my now. favorite version of your content for the sake of being able to draw comparisons versus what's in the manga, what's in the anime. And you do a really good job of pointing out like, it's cool. The anime did this versus it's redundant or pointless or kind of dumb. The anime did that. Like I really enjoy your DVD TV breakdowns the most. Well, thank you. Yeah. On those, since I've already covered, you know, since Dragon Ball is adapted very, very uh, accurately, um, you know, it is almost the exact same thing minus the things that are added, you know? Uh, So I don't uh, retread old ground. I just focus on, on filler material and, and talk about how that, that changes the overall story. Uh, so I'm working on, on the boo arc for that right now. Uh, I just finished the fourth installment of that and it's going to conclude at part five. So it's going to be much shorter than, um, the 29 parts I took to cover the uh, original because you've already covered that story. So, (laughs) uh, but it is still going to be setting the record for DVD TV where I covered the freeze arc was four installments for the, DVD TV version of it. Uh, this is going to be five. So be the uh, as I draw that draw that sub series to a close, we'll be setting a new record. So, <laughs> well, here's the cool thing about you setting this record: as impressive as it is, and as you know, complete as it is, doing all of the canon Dragon Ball stuff. I mean, you can't just stop when you get to the end of Dragon Ball Z, right? You have to keep going right and obviously if anyone who watches lance's videos kind of guess what i'm poking at uh it seems like you've been absolutely pelted with requests to do dragon ball gt and you've uh you've abided well it, I, I appreciate you giving me a fantastic lead-in for that but uh it's it's been kind of, it's become kind of a running gag in my comments at this point because um you know people have been asking i've been asking me for years what would happen after the boo arc if i was going to continue or not and and I had left it up in the air based on you know whether I was you know whether it was sustainable for me to continue doing this for after so long, and I decided that it was, and I would continue with GT, and I made a big announcement about it. Um, but for months, I was still being asked that, 
if I would be doing GT or not. It's almost like and Dragon I, Ball fans can't read. <laughs> I, I would make more announcements about it, and I'd still get the question, and it, I became, uh, you know, try to put it more and more in, into people's faces, you know, and being almost plaintive about it, you know, to the point that it became a running gag now. And I, I, I'm, I'm happy to get the comments now asking if there's GT, because the people who are asking now are clearly doing it with their tongue and cheek which makes me a lot less stressed out than when people were giving it, giving me the question where it seemed like it was probably, probably sincere. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, for me, I'm in kind of a, I'm a, kind of in a precarious spot where it's like, I don't want people running away thinking that Dragon Ball dissection is over. And if people don't know that Dragon Ball GT, I'm like, how do I get you to know what's happening? Uh, so it's kind of scary for me. Don't be scared, man. Literally <laughs> none of us are going to hit the unsubscribe button like after you get to the end of Boo, we're going to stay subscribed regardless. And honestly, I'm curious to see how you chop up those first 18 episodes of GT because that's some of the worst fucking Dragon. Like I talked about how Dragon Ball Granola Arc has been like some of the worst manga ever. The worst animated Dragon Ball anime of all time easily is those first 18 episodes of GT. So I wish you luck. Can't wait to see your analysis. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, right? Um, my, my thing is, is that, um, Reviewing Dragon Ball, even though it took over 10 years, was easy for me, in a sense, because I know it so well. Um, I, I know, I, I have a largely photographic memory of it because I've, you know, in, ingested it, digested it, consumed it. You've dissected for 20, it. For, 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 for 25 years. Well, even before that, you know, I've been a fan of it for many, many years, and I knew it really, really well. Uh, my familiarity with Super and with GT isn't, isn't nearly as, so I've... I've been compiling a very comprehensive list of notes uh, to do. And honestly, I have a, I, I'm only, I just rewatched episode 29 of GT today. Wait a minute. Let me think if I know which episode that is. So I know that that's late baby. Is that after he transforms for the first time into Super Saiyan 4? No, no we're not, not that far yet. It's, it's is when... that 32 when he does that? It could be 32. I don't know. Again, that's my problem. No, I, I, it's, 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 I, I just have, said I don't know GT do you and Super. bootleg copies of Dragon Ball GT at your foot all the time? Man, I got VHS <laughs> copies right... I'm going to mail these to you? <laughs> no, uh, it, it, the episode is when um, Goku fights Baby and his servants for the first time, and it ends with him... Well, it, 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 as I've seen it before, it ends with him going into the Suguro space um oh the the game the game stuff yes. and the the yeah that's such a strange yeah. break in that series man i hate that ending to that uh <laughs> stretch of episodes well also so, so my point is i i'm not as i'm not as uh perfectly familiar with this stuff so i'm I'm making as detailed notes as i possibly can for when i'm making my videos i'm i'm at episode 29 and i have a a, a, a word processing document that is over 75 pages right Jesus right now christ <laughs> god damn dude i aspire to be as thorough as that even like one tenth as thorough as that at some point in my life about any given I, topic i i don't want to make any mistakes when i start having to write i'm hoping it'll save me time when i'm having to write my scripts in the in the coming months it won't because you're gonna have to dig through 75 pages worth of shit man <laughs> it's e well it's easier to search for that than having to search through episodes and go what episode was that and again let me let me, let me pull up let me pull up the episode and scroll yeah. and, and scan through it and see where it yeah. is that Whereas control like, f will be will be huge in doing your note research um i guess from like that perspective like 75 pages man. i 
I just appreciate how thorough you are in literally any Dragon Ball analysis that you do, and I cannot wait to see your stuff on GT because a lot of it's bad, and your reaction <laughs> to Dragon Ball, bad Dragon Ball, is some of my favorite stuff. Uh, where can people check? I mean, I'm gonna link your stuff, your information in the show notes, your YouTube page, and your Twitter in the show notes. Go check it out, everybody. Go subscribe. But for the audio only listener who may not open show notes, where can they find your stuff? Well, they can find it at www.youtube.com slash Fusion, M-I-S-T-A-R-E-F-U-S-I-O-N. I also have uh, social media. So, uh, you know, it's the same thing. Fusion, M-I-S-T-A-R-E-F-U-S-I-O-N at Facebook and uh, Twitter. Uh, and if you happen to become a fan uh, and feel that my channel is worth supporting, I also have a Patreon. Uh, same thing, patreon.com slash Fusion. I'm a uh, member. Be a member yes, of that with yes, me. Yes, he is. But also if, be a if, member if, of my Patreon as well, please. If if you watch any episode of Dragon Ball Dissection or my other series, my other ongoing series right now, Mighty Morphin Zhu Rangers, which is a Power Rangers Super Sentai comparison, if you get to the end credits of my wonderful patrons, you will see Dragon Ball Super Dope at the end of every episode. And I am eternally grateful for his support. You know what? I'm eternally grateful for like the handful of patrons I have that give me like 30 bucks a month so I can pay some hosting fees and give you five <laughs> bucks. That's five bucks well spent every single time. Well, thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Dragon Ball Super Dope. Make sure you rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. YouTube. Uh, this is a YouTube specific episode, like not too much in terms of visuals, but go subscribe to the YouTube. We're, uh, we're growing slowly. We just hit 300 subscribers. Holy free holies. That's a big deal for me who puts literally zero effort into YouTube. Thank you, Lance. (laughs) Uh, I will talk to you guys next time, and that's going to do it for Super Dope. Super Dope! Mr. Fusion was just on the show. Uh, I'd like to have your own uh, theme music.